Welcome to another edition of Language of the Gods, where we discuss issues and topics relating to metaphysics, astrology, and astrotheology. Here we delve into the dark recesses of hidden knowledge in an attempt to draw out the truth which has been suppressed and distorted by a sinister hidden hand over centuries of control and manipulation as they work together towards their ultimate objective of global governance under an all-encompassing technological control grid. Our past is only a little less uncertain than our future, and like the future, it is always changing, always revealing and concealing. What then is, generally speaking, the truth of history, a fable agreed upon? He who controls the past controls the future. He who controls the present, controls the past. As the victors write the history books, they also massage previous known versions, selecting what suits them and deselecting what doesn't. The aim is to control the collective minds of its citizens, who passively accept what is referred to as official history. Our history appears to be cyclical, not progressively lineal as mainstream Darwinism suggests. They want us to believe that we are at the pinnacle of evolving human species, adapting to our new environment from the primeval slime which we came from. Over thousands of years, each generation more intelligent and advanced than anything that went before. Our real history is being kept under lock and key by a controlling elite, who not only have access to ancient records, they only allow the masses to see a version of history which they see fit to dispense, a version keeping us ignorant of who we are where we came from and what our true potential is. Astrology, applied astronomy, is the oldest surviving language still in use today. Its glyphs, signs and form remain relatively unchanged from the days of ancient Sumer and dynastic Egypt. The Sumerians recorded their knowledge of the planets and constellations on clay tablets which date back over 5,000 years. Their astrological system influenced the rest of the civilized world, making its way into Egypt, Rome, and throughout the modern world today. The reason why astrology is so important is because it identifies and maps cosmic cycles, giving meaning and understanding to the human conscious relationship between the macrocosm, the microcosm and the logos.
basically identifying our true relationship with nature. Ancient myths and legends tell us that astronomy and astrology were given to humanity by the Titan god Atlas before the great deluge which destroyed Atlantis. It truly is the language of the gods. The zodiac is presented in code form where only a handful of readers have the experience and ability to decipher it accurately. Consequently, the further we deviate from its profound wisdom, the greater chance we have of falling out of sync with nature's cycles, bringing forth disharmony and dis-ease upon our latest physical incarnation. Most of us are now aware that our perception of the world has been offered to us by those who inhabit the governing classes. And in order to control the masses in a way which serves their overall agenda, they have to present a perspective of reality which conforms to their requirements by socially engineering our perception of the past, the present and the future. Therefore, the only reliable benchmark we have connecting us to our past and our relationship to the micro and macrocosm is the astrological zodiac. It is a profound diagrammatic representation of how we consciously interact with nature's rhythms, cycles and ultimately the Logos. The Zodiac has withstood the test of time unchanged for over 6,000 years. Hidden within its profound form of glyphs, symbols and signs are secrets offered to us by a once powerful and advanced civilization. In an age when the truth is distorted by political and financial motives it is important to have a valuable countermeasure of truth. In a society built on foundations of deceit, the only true and solid coordinates we have are literally written in the stars. From a metaphysical and astrological perspective, the Logos can be viewed as universal consciousness. Although the physical material realm has limitations within the fabric of time and space, the spiritual realm and the Logos do not. They are timeless and limitless, regarded as an endless sea of profound possibility. Logos comes from the Greek word Yogos, which can be translated as word, reason, speech, opinion, and discourse. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus used the term logos to mean order and knowledge. He saw it as the logic behind an argument or persuasive rhetoric. Aristotle used it when referring to the argument or reasoned discourse. 
the common theme regarding the use of the word Logos points to it being used to express higher levels of conscious awareness, even godlike with infinite potential of knowledge and wisdom. Stoic philosophers in Athens during the 3rd century BC linked the term Logos to a divine animating principle which spread throughout the whole universe. In Christianity, the Logos is also used as a name or title for Jesus Christ, which makes sense from a metaphysical perspective, because Jesus, or Jupiter Zeus, represents the crescent of spirituality over the cross of materialism. Aristotle divided any form of rhetoric into three basic components. In his day, astrology and metaphysics played a major role as the benchmark for understanding their conscious relationship to the universe together with their view of the triad of consciousness. He described all forms of rhetoric as having the logos, logical reasoning, the ethos, character, and the pathos, emotion. Philo, a Hellenized Jew, used the term Logos to mean an intermediary divine being or demiurge. Philo followed the Platonic distinction between imperfect matter and perfect form, and therefore intermediary beings were necessary to bridge the enormous gap between God and the material world. The Logos was the highest of these intermediary beings and was called by Philo the firstborn of God. Philo also wrote that the Logos of the living God is the bond of everything, holding all things together and binding all the parts, preventing them from being dissolved and separated. In Sunni Islam, the Logos was viewed as the intellect the universal man, the word of God, and the Mohammedan light. In Islamic mysticism, known as Sufism, both Jesus and Muhammad are seen as the personification of the Logos. At the end of World War II, in 1945, 13 ancient Gnostic books, thought to be from the 3rd or 4th century AD, were discovered in caves near the city of Nag Hammadi in Upper Egypt. The leather-bound papyrus books, found by local farmers, became one of the most important archaeological finds concerning early Christianity and Gnostic beliefs ever to be discovered. Also known as the Gnostic Gospel, the books include the Gospel of Thomas, the Secret Book of John, and the Gospel of Truth. Gnostics believed that the material realm was evil, ruled by a demiurge, while the spiritual realm was all good, ruled by a divine cosmic consciousness. According to the Gnostics, life originated from the core of our galaxy, a central core of pure light, which was the home of divine spiritual consciousness. The Gnostics believed the galactic center, which they called the Pleroma, was alive, 
They thought that matter, like stars and planets, did not exist in the central core, inhabited by pure spiritual beings like torrents of energy, which they called aeons. They saw it as a balanced core of both male and female aeons, whirling around like serpents in an ocean of conscious light, similar to the yin and yang symbolic expression of balanced dualistic monism. For this central core, the galaxy spiraled outwards, forming four galactic arms of progressively denser matter. Our solar system is situated 26,500 light years out from the third galactic arm. These galactic limbs provide almost infinite opportunity for various forms of galactic consciousness to express itself in material form. When the eons within the Pleroma had a thought which they wanted to manifest into matter, they would send out an extension of plasmatic light outward from the center to a suitable place along one of many galactic arms. The Gnostic creation story suggests that the earth came into existence through the independent actions of the Aeon Sophia, a name which means wisdom in Greek. It suggests she wanted to manifest an expression of herself without the approval or consent of her male counterpart, the Father God. It happened that Sophia began to think for herself. She wanted to reveal an image from herself. She did this without the consent, approval, thoughtful assistance or knowledge of her masculine counterpart. Because she had unconquerable power, her thought was not unproductive. So she brought it into being. Something imperfect came out of her, different in appearance from her, a mishappen being unlike herself. When Sophia saw what her desire had produced, it changed into a dragon with a lion's head and its eyes flashed bolts of lightning. Disturbed by this, she cast him outside of the realm of the immortal beings so they could not see what she had created. Sophia named him Yaldabaoth, and he became the chief ruler with great power, inherited from his mother. Believing he was the only true god of the material world, he moved away and created other realms with subservient archons for company. He was described as an artificial non-organic life form with machine-like qualities. Yaldabaoth and the Demiurge appear to be the same being. In some ancient texts, Yaldabaoth is also linked in with Satan, Kronos, or the planet Saturn. This all begins to tie together when you consider that Saturn is the planet associated with the cross of materialism over the crescent of spirituality. It is the furthest planet to the naked eye from the sun. So, if the Demiurge was cast out by Sophia, far from the earth and the spiritual purity of her intended creation, 
this would be the logical place to go, manifesting his perverted consciousness out in the dark regions of our solar system. Many scholars and theologians speculate that the God of the Old Testament is indeed the non-organic demiurge, while the God of the New Testament is the spiritual father at the center of the Pleroma. In many schools of philosophy, the demiurge is viewed as a craftsman or artisan-like character, responsible for fashioning and maintaining the physical material universe. The demiurge is seen as a separate entity from the Logos or the Creator. In many Gnostic traditions, the material universe is considered as evil, overseen by a malevolent demiurge whereas the non-material or spiritual world is considered as good. The Demiurge is thought to act as a channel for the Logos, consciousness, to devolve from pure spirit into matter, the consequence of which is thought to manifest imperfections as the Logos consciousness interacts with the human collective, both on a focal and subconscious level. Marcionism, which was an early form of Christianity, believed that the God of the Old Testament was a tyrant or a demiurge, a lower entity than the God of the New Testament. Consequently, they rejected the entire Old Testament. According to the Gnostics, the demiurge was able to endow man only with the psyche, sensuous soul, only the true God could add the pneuma, or the rational soul. This is the feminine aspect of the spirit. The Greek term pneuma, often associated with the Holy Spirit of the New Testament, the Gnostics identified the Demiurge with the Jehovah of the Hebrews. In philosophy, the term is used to denote a divine being that is the builder of the universe rather than its creator. The Gnostics concluded that thoughts from the core which manifested along the galactic arms were left to their own devices to evolve like a divine cosmic experiment without the day-to-day -day control of the eons. In this picture the Demiurge stands between the moon and a six-pointed star, which often represents the planet Saturn. Is it the case that the influence of the Demiurge is felt most strongly through some form of connection with the energetic characteristics of Saturn and the Moon, both planets which play leading roles in the religion of Judaism? The Demiurge, or Lord of the material realm, created various archons together with other non-organic realms. Archon is from an ancient Greek word which means principalities or rulers. The term was used to describe any number of servants of the Demiurge, the lord over the archons. But Yaldabaoth had a multitude of faces, more than all of them. He shared his fire with them, therefore he became lord over them. Because of the power of the glory he possessed of his mother's light, he called himself God.
and he did not obey the place from which he came and he united the seven powers in his thought with the authorities which were with him when he gazed upon his creation surrounding him he said to the host of demons the ones who had come forth out of him I am a jealous God and there is no God but me origins of the Kabbalah are uncertain however Jewish mystics claim that it came from Adam Abraham and Moses because the Kabbalah is not a religion as such it is more likely that it evolved from ancient pagan star worship a form of astro magic as a way of making sense of our conscious connection to the Creator Nearly all forms of occult knowledge have their roots in the Kabbalah. It is a sophisticated diagrammatic representation of how the Creator manifests aspects of divine consciousness here in the material realm. Although the Bible mentions two trees in the Garden of Eden, a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil, in reality, the tree of life 
offers the righteous path, while the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents the tree of death and the left-hand path, while the tree of life offers pathways towards union with the Creator. The tree of death offers the opposite, disunity and division, moving away from divine consciousness towards a spiritual vacuum. The basic concept of the Kabbalah began when the divine consciousness at the center of our galaxy decided to have a physical experience out here in the dense regions of the cosmos. It is said that the divine light of all possibility within the galactic center, known as the Pleroma, filled a container with divine consciousness, which under the pressure of divine brilliance shattered, spreading sparks of divinity throughout the galaxy. As these fragments of divine light traveled further away from the Pleroma, its density increased, allowing the divine consciousness to manifest in physical form, creating various levels and dimensions of physical reality. As this shattered light entered our solar system, it differentiated into pockets of cosmic consciousness, producing planets and luminaries of various shapes and sizes. Eventually, here on Earth, Numerous expressions of divine consciousness manifested in a variety of life forms, with the human genome being the closest of all life forms to the Creator. To understand the Kabbalah's interpretation of our relationship to the Creator, one must first accept that the Creator is an unlimited potential of all possibility, the Alpha and Omega the end and the beginning, a consciousness beyond our ability to comprehend, existing outside the physical constraints of time and space, a rigid paradigm which traps us in a progressive, lineal approach to matter in this physical realm. According to the Kabbalah, the Creator made the creature, man, with the intention of bestowing upon that creature all his wants, needs and pleasures to enjoy in a divinely created paradise of bliss and plenty. Made in the image of God, the creature was given full dominion over his environment with free will to choose whether to ascend the tree of life in an attempt to seek union with his creator or descend down the tree of death to become detached and alone in an empty husk-like reality, devoid of light, love and bounty offered by the Creator. Adam and Eve were told they could eat from any tree in the garden, but not from the tree of knowledge, which in real terms is the Kabbalistic tree of death. This is the left-hand path. The Kabbalah expresses the nature of divine light as it diffuses and fragments its way through the solar system. It is the physics or metaphysics of the spiritual realm. As the divine light or consciousness enters the solar system, it leaves in its wake 
ten energy centers known as sephirot, with a number of conceptual connecting pathways as it descends into material form. The sephirot are represented by the planets and luminaries orbiting the sun. In traditional Kabbalism, the objective of the creature was to receive all that the Creator wanted to bestow upon him. However, the only difference between a person who receives in abundance and those who don't is in the individual's willingness to receive based entirely on their perceived relationship with the Creator. As the creature matures, he finds a need coming from within to be like and to know the Creator. However, in order to do this, he must learn how to bestow like the Creator. Instead of being one-dimensional and only experiencing reality as a receptive vessel, Becoming like the Creator was considered ascending the Tree of Life, a spiritual journey which brought one back in union with the Creator, which essentially fulfilled man's ultimate destiny. Wherever a person finds themselves at any point in their lives, there are Kabbalistic pathways leading up the Tree of Life or down towards the Tree of Death. The choice is ultimately yours. We either take the righteous path, a spiritual journey towards union with the Creator, or we take the left-hand path towards a cold, lifeless world of godlessness and materialism. Religion assumes that the Creator changes his attitude to the person depending on the person's actions. The science of Kabbalah, however, states that the upper force is invariable and the actions of a person can in no way affect it. Instead, the person's actions can change himself. He will be able to perceive the upper governance differently. If his own changes are aimed towards greater resemblance, he will be able to perceive the Creator as kind and good. By increasing the difference between his properties and those of the Creator, he will feel the Creator's attitude as more negative. According to the Kabbalah, if we are unable to feel the divine good emanating from the Creator, the problem lies with us and not the Creator, as the Creator is constant in his bestowal. The ultimate goal of Kabbalah is to develop a sixth sense, a second nature, opposing duality and division, all those aspects which are synonymous with the left-hand path and the tree of death. The term sixth sense is slightly misleading because we are not actually developing another sense, but a new perception of reality, promoting the desire to see others as yourself and to understand the whole collective soul consciousness. With this approach we can develop a closeness with divine consciousness towards equilibrium of form, allowing us to perceive things we would not normally perceive, 
as though we are viewing the human experience through the eyes of the Creator. The only thing limiting a person in this earthly incarnation is their desire to receive. Correcting this perception is how we ascend the tree of life. We are all pieces of the initial soul created in the upper worlds, divine light which shattered into millions of pieces. We are all part of that soul and our ultimate goal is to reunite with the Creator's consciousness. The tree of death is a mirrored reflection of the tree of life, moving in the opposite direction, further away from the spiritual origins of life, towards what some call the pits of hell. A perception of reality full of division, disharmony, immorality, disunity, and materialism, a place where black magic and demons run amok, pulling anyone who goes there away from their divine roots into a downward spiral on negative emotions and emptiness, while the tree of life has numerous pathways with ten spiritual energy centers known as Sephirot, assigned with angels guarding their spiritual dominion and place in the heavens, the tree of death has energy centers called Cliffoth. These come with an array of demons and dark entities eager to attach themselves to anyone's conscious perception in order to feed off their divine spark which resides within, pulling us towards a miserable husk-like existence culminating in spiritual death. The automation of society has been underway for a very long time, slowly detaching humanity from their hands-on involvement over a system of control which they will ultimately become slaves to. When people give up their independence to interact within a community of proactive human participants, Embracing instead a society of automatons serving an artificially created management system, their social cohesive skills will deteriorate to a point where the purpose of their overall existence comes into question. Some of us are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings having a human experience and to dilute traditional three-dimensional ways in which we interact will ultimately trap us within a controlling web of artificial intelligence which will undermine our connection to spiritual consciousness essentially detaching us from the Creator 5G is the fifth generation of digital cellular network technology designed to improve all forms of digital communication with greater speed when accessing the internet. To achieve this, a wider spectrum of bandwidths 
are being made available for transmitting and receiving data. Utilizing higher frequencies within the lower realms of the infrared spectrum known as microwaves. Although these frequencies are generally considered safe when emitting non-ionizing radiation, the potential for biological and cellular damage is becoming a growing concern. While microwave ovens utilize microwave technology to cook food, the level of power used to achieve this is enormous compared to the microwaves used within 5G technology. However, the accumulative and long-term effects on human health is unknown. It is already well documented in scientific research papers that the existing technology of 3 and 4G have already contributed to a number of health issues. We are, as a species, about to undergo an experiment where all of us are essentially being used as guinea pigs for the profits of a handful of individuals running the telecommunications corporations to roll something out on a global scale without adequate testing is akin to playing Russian roulette with the whole human race an experiment which we may never recover from. After 5G we should see 6G an even more sophisticated technological control grid. 6 is of course the number associated with Saturn the planet of control, restriction, limitation and frustration. When they link all electronic devices along with humanity to their fleet of Saturn lights, there will be nowhere to escape to and nowhere to hide. This will no doubt be rolled out as a countermeasure against all forms of terrorism. It is ironic that the first ever geosynchronous satellite broadcast, which took place back in July 1962, carried pictures of Pope John XXIII all around the world, a Saturn light which looked more like the Death Star from Star Wars than the satellites we are used to seeing today. Ever since the birth of man, we have lived in tune with nature's rhythms and cycles, responding to the energetic frequencies emanating from our surroundings, together with transits occurring from the magnificent planets and luminaries gracing our solar system. Lately, human arrogance has decided to submerge every one of us in an artificial ocean of electromagnetic pollution. This, in my opinion, is an attack on human consciousness itself, driving into the very heart of who we are. Creating an artificial reality which could potentially replace our natural subconscious collective, which is tethered to the spiritual realm and the Creator. I suggest 
that the overriding objective of this electromagnetic control grid is to cut us off from our sixth and seventh senses together with restricting our connection to the spiritual collective giving us over hook, line and sinker to the artificial machine-like god of the underworld the Demiurge one has to wonder where did this rapid expansion of artificial intelligence technology come from and why are we in such a hurry to promote it as the solution to all our worldly problems could it be that human history has been deliberately distorted to hide the existence of an ancient society once ruled by the Demiurge and his Archons who were indeed the gods of the ancient world using our human ancestors as slaves and objects of abuse and amusement could it be that the ancient megalithic remains which we see in abundance all over the world are the remains of this once powerful and materialistic civilization brought to an end by a global cataclysm which ultimately reset human consciousness a cataclysm which gave freedom back to humanity as the creator had intended a new world order is underway one which will ultimately outlaw all forms of spirituality uniting humanity within a technological control grid a socialistic collective of transhuman automatons obeying their masters and serving all aspects of the system they help to underpin united in a material sense but devoid of nature's divine spark of spiritual diversity About the pharaohs 
and you can read about the sun. There's another world. There's another world. There's another world. Another world. Another world. 